Good morning. It's morning for three more minutes. It's my honor and privilege to be able to share today. And I just want to pray to start. Holy Spirit, take the things that you've put in my heart to share and make them real for each person. God, help Help us to move forward with you, God, that it isn't about what I say nearly as much as what you communicate to each person's heart. So thank you for helping today. Amen. I was inspired to talk about this subject after reading an essay by Roger Bretherton, Associate Professor of Psychology, University of Lincoln in the UK. He's a, besides being a professor, he's a frequent consultant, coach, and training for leaders. So credit where credit is due to get me started on this subject. We are so busy. For a society that's supposed to be staying home, we certainly have found plenty things to do. Working from home at first seemed like a good idea, a way to save time. But many people are glad to go back to work because it's more efficient to do their job away from home than the competing demands and distractions of working at home. We are so busy. Our calendars are full. We have little or no extra time or energy, even for the things that we value and desire. I found a few surveys of North American Christians online, and it revealed that the vast majority, and I was surprised at the language, the vast majority classify their lifestyle as too busy. I guess we need a little more practice coming beside quiet waters and restoring our soul. These surveys also show that most Christians admit their relationship with God is distant or unsatisfying, or often irrelevant to daily living. The primary reason given in the survey for an unsatisfying relationship with God was not enough time with God. Is it any wonder David, when he wrote in the Psalms, said, Be still and know that I'm God. There's nowhere that you can find that God says, be really busy and know that I'm God. And as we all know, relationship, any relationship that is significant requires two things, time and effort. Now, before I go any further, I have a brief commercial to put in here. If you want to have a more connected and satisfying relationship with God, I can help you develop that. Relationship with God is why I do what I do. Now, since I'm older and maybe not seem as relatable to those of you who are maybe 30 or younger, uh, Sunil is really good at helping you develop a more relationship with God. However, we and others in the City River community can only help if you are willing to invest time and effort in developing your relationship with God because a satisfying relationship with God requires time and effort. My input to you would be, it is so worth the time and effort. 
If you don't get anything else from today, here's what I'd like you to think about over the, this week. Why we do what we do is more important than what we do. I got to give Shole another shot at that one. Why we do what we do is more important than what we do. And we'll expand that a little bit now. I did an informal poll of my own, of eight or nine people. I asked them if their initial, what their initial response was to the word ambition. Was it positive or negative? Every person except one responded that ambition was a negative thing. So how do you define ambition? If someone asked you, you know, what do you mean by ambition? How would, what would you tell them? If you can't really come up with a definition now, I encourage you to maybe spend a little time thinking about it. Ambition is a passionate word. Ambition and passion are not positive or negative. The impact of ambition and passion, positive or negative, depends on why and how we live with our ambitions and passions. The words themselves are neutral. What we do with them causes them to be positive or negative. Remember, why we do what we do is more important than what we do. Now, the Bible uses two Greek words for ambition in the New Testament. One is positive, one is negative. The negative word for ambition is very negative. It is most often translated selfish ambition. Here's just a couple of biblical examples. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Selfish ambition is never a good thing. Galatians 5, 19-21 says this, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we never want to be described by activities in this list, But right in the middle of this list, surrounded by immorality and debauchery and orgies and drunkenness, is selfish ambition. Serious stuff. One other, Romans 2.8 says this, 
But for those who are self-seeking, now that word self-translated self-seeking is the same word as selfish ambition. So Romans 2.8, but for those who are who have selfish ambition and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Selfish ambition might seem to work for a while, but it never ends well. Now, the positive word for ambition is not only good, it's desirable to have. Romans 15.20 says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel to where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul writes, it has always been my ambition. So ambition is not wrong. It's what we do with it. Second Corinthians 5.9 says this. So when we make it our goal, and that's the word of, of positive ambition, when we make it our ambition to please God, whether we make it our ambition to please God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. It's always a good thing when we're doing that. First Thessalonians 4.11. And if you look that up, uh, keep your finger there because we're going to come back to this one. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we told you. Positive ambition is life-giving motivated by a relationship with God to discover who we are created to be and how we are created to live. So the question comes for each one of us, what ambition motivates you? Do your ambitions and passions align with your God-given identity and the direction of your life choices? Or does your performance define your identity regardless of the personal and relational cost, which comes first, your identity or your performance? Psychologist Robert Vallander wrote this, and I quote, we all need our passions. We really care about them. Our passion is what we Church need. is working without me. They had no sound problems this morning. A cartoon. You have all the speakers. <laughs> no, we, so there are two, and we had one. Okay. I think we got that fixed. Um, our passion is what we live for. But no matter how worthy the cause may be, the way we live our passions has a profound effect on who we become. With obsessive, obsessive passion, for example, about work, we risk workaholism. People who, are, who do this, their passion is work, can easily move to sacrifice wealth, health, family, friendships, and whatever else needs to, be, to, to go in order to pursue our ambition. We soon cannot help ourselves. Our worth hangs on the success and the status that comes with the passion. In this case, it hangs on how successful we are at our work. We are what we do. But on the other hand, with harmonious passion, we do, pardon me, what we do has a deep resonance with who we are. We have freely chosen our passion 
which is why we give ourselves to that passion so vibrantly and with such dedication. That is also why we can step back from our passion when it becomes out of balance with the rest of our life, because we do what we are. End quote. I know that was kind of long, but the importance of that is, one is we behave because we, we need to behave. The other one is we make the choice on how we want to behave. Our passions don't demand us to do something. We choose them and then walk in it. Because selfish ambition requires me to perform. It says if I perform as a husband, a father, a pastor, or a senior adult, I am defined by those labels. So I must always do the best that I can. I must perform according to the standards the world sets and I agree with, and I must perform well, better than those to whom I am compared. Under these circumstances with selfish ambition, who I am is defined by what I do. Harmonious ambition gives me the freedom to discover and pursue my passion. My identity is not in being named a father or a teacher or a pastor or a man None of those things determine my value and identity. I develop the identity and passions God has put in me, not by my ability to perform them, but how he defines me. I do things because of who I am. One is I do in order to become. The other one is I must perform in order to be okay. And that makes a huge difference in how we navigate life. Here's two really simple examples. Life is more complicated, I know that, but this is to try to illustrate the difference between identity and performance. A student with obsessive passion may volunteer to help the homeless because it looks good on her or his resume. A student with harmonious passion volunteers to help the homeless because she or he believes it is a good and right thing to do, regardless of the outcome. A leader with obsessive passion may lead because the prizes of leadership, recognition, control, or security. A leader with harmonious passion leads from a deep sense of inner conviction a confidence that those they are leading are genuinely and specifically better off because of their leadership choices. What is some activity you are ambitious or passionate about right now? Take a minute. It doesn't have to be the defining one of your life. But what is some activity you are ambitious or passionate about right now? How do you feel about that activity? Is it life-giving or does it demand more than you want to give? Are you mostly focused on the results and outputs? 
or does your primary satisfaction and motivation come because it is the right thing to do and it's the right thing for you to do? If we are not very careful, very careful, our sincere motives can be easily undermined by the external rewards. The professional athlete who started playing for the love of the game soon loses focus and that love as fame, money, and other externals start to take his or her attention. The parent who started out with genuine love, desiring to be the best parent for their child they could be, can easily get caught up in, quote unquote, being a good parent, getting the right clothes, having the children behave properly, making sure they're in the right schools, getting the good grades, getting them in all the activities. It's about the outcomes rather than simply being a good parent. And because they're, you're a good parent, than doing things. Do we do passionate things because they are right and right for us? Or do we do passionate things because we need certain outcomes so we can feel right? The quality of your life depends on your answer. So, What do we do if we have been caught up in the activities of our life? If we have lost the joy of being a parent, a student, or a leader? Or worse, what if we have been caught up in the activities of doing church? And we've lost the joy of being a son and daughter of God, a friend of Jesus, and a carrier of Holy Spirit power and impact. I believe the first thing to do is to ask yourself a question. What drew you to your passion? What first drew you to your passion? What was the first thing, for instance, that made you passionate about being a parent or the job vocation that you're in? What first drew you to relationship with God? What drew you to what you do? Answering this question is an invitation for you to remember your initial motive before the schedules, before the pressures, before the demands of the role, before the busyness clouded your vision and diminished your passion. I encourage you in the days and weeks to come Invest some time with God and your spiritual advisors talking about this question. What first drew you to what you do? God so wants us to recover the initial 
passion for him, the initial passion for the gifts and the callings he's put in us. But it takes a deliberate choice to move from performance being the measure to our identity being the standard. Why we do what we do is more important than what we do. It comes down to quality of life. Are you going to enjoy, even delight, in how God has made you with the gifts, the passions, the visions, the calling, the heart that he's put in you? Or are you going to be directed by or even driven by getting the right outcomes, performances, the opinions of other people? And we get to choose, but that's why what, why we do something is more important than just doing it. We can have the same outcomes even and have very different experiences in those outcomes. I can be giving this sermon and maybe it's just not landing for you at all. And I have the choice to say, did I, out of the passion that God has given me, the things he's put in my heart, did I deliver them as well as I know how to do? Or I can say, I'm a total failure because I did not communicate, I did not connect, I didn't have happen what I desired to have happen. And I get to choose the measurement I'm going to use. I get to choose why I'm doing this, because I love God with all my heart, and I want so much to be able to give something of God and his understanding of God to every one of you that will help you move along in your life. The same goes for your work. When you go to work tomorrow, are you doing it out of a passion that you have because God made you good at what you do as, as a teacher, as a parent, as a business person, or are you doing it because you got the kind of results you want? You got the grades you want as a student. You got a promotion or more money as a business person. Do we measure it with outcomes or do we measure it with identity? To finish this up, I want to, to uh, wrap back around and go to First Thessalonians 4.11 again. So if you have it available in your Bible, uh, turn to or click on 1 Thessalonians 4.11. It's a pretty nice passage. You might want to read the, the whole chapter, but we're going to just look at one verse right now. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you. Now, trying to apply this verse by itself in context could seem really irrelevant for today's urban society. What I'm going to give you now is my suggestion of God's life input to us as it applies to this verse. Just something for you to consider. The first phrase, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. 
This does not mean no fun, no excitement, or no passion. Okay, look, who wrote this thing? Paul the Apostle wrote this verse, and he did not have a boring life. I don't even know how you could say he had a quiet life based on all of his experiences. I mean, you name it, and Paul had it, and he had it in spades. It was one excitement after another, one trial after another, one adventure after another. He appeared before kings. He talked to to peasants everywhere in between. And Paul writes, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. So if he's not talking about just being quiet, just sitting on the porch or whatever, what is he trying to say? I suggest that a quiet life is a life settled on a clear God-given identity. That the quietness is internal because we know who we are and we know who we were made to be. It's a life that's defined, stabilized, and directed by Holy Spirit, regardless of the ups and downs and the seasons of life. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Excuse me. The next phrase, to mind your own business. This does not mean you get to avoid people. As someone who has moved from being an extreme introvert to at least somewhere around the middle of the road, I used to use avoiding people as an excuse for doing anything with people. When Paul writes in this phrase, to mind your own business, it does not mean you avoid people. It does not mean you don't interact with people. I suggest it means investing time in clarifying who we are, what we do, and why we do it. To mind my business is to take care of me, to make sure my identity is intact, to make sure my understanding of what is passionate in me what my heart desires to do, what I'm good at doing. That's minding my business. It's making sure that my life is only defined by Holy Spirit and my choice to agree with Holy Spirit, not whatever the world says I need to be doing as a pastor, as a father, as a teacher, as, as a man, as an older, older person senior. Holy Spirit works with me to define me, not the world defining me and who I am. Now that's supported and confirmed by the wise counsel of other trusted people, but minding my own business means taking care of me, investing time in me, clarifying in me, and the same is true for you too. The third phrase is to work with your hands. This doesn't mean you're on your own. It doesn't mean you have to set up a carpentry shop. It doesn't mean you have to paint. We had a a cell group not long ago where we had to draw some of the emotions we were feeling, like what kind of an animal did we feel like or something. 
And that I probably need inner healing from because I'm a ter- I have no ability to draw accurately or anything. And I had little stick people and, you know, my face looked like a four that I drew looked like a four year old or something like that. To work with your hands does not mean you have to be artistic or skilled with woodworking or be able to draw or paint. It doesn't mean you're on your own. It means that each of us is responsible to seek out everything God has planned for us. We need to work with what we've got and what God has given to us to walk with the direction Holy Spirit has given us to develop and enjoy the wonderful and unique life God desires for us to experience. I'm working with my hands the way Paul describes it as I'm becoming the person God intended for me to become. In Paul's day, everybody pretty much worked with their hands, doing some kind of manual labor or manual creativity. It's a lot different nowadays. But in both cases, working with our hands is to develop with Holy Spirit's help and enjoy the, the unique life God desires for us to experience. So what's the point of all of today? Why we do what we do is more important than what we do. Father, I ask now that by the power of your spirit, you would give each person the courage to begin to examine why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it life-giving? Holy Spirit, come and reveal even long-time patterns, behaviors of I must perform well in order to be okay. That my okayness requires me to perform in a certain way. And I ask that you would pour out that blessing on each person that they would discover how you have uniquely made, how specially you've made each person. I thank you, God, for this wonderful company of people and how you're helping each one of us to become men and women of substance and power and confidence and contentedness. God, we are truly blessed because your spirit lives in us. We look forward to becoming more of who you've made us to be. Amen. Thank you so much for listening and coming along with me on this little journey.